This is Movies, a podcast by the Active Cinema, and Hans is actually not with me today. I'm doing a solo show because Hans, my dear pal Hans, just got engaged last night. How about that? He's on the cusp of being a family man. Can you even imagine that? Can you picture that in your head? What that looks like? What what Hans as a husband and father looks like? We're, we're so close to seeing it. Uh, so Hans is a little tied up, and it's New Year's Eve. Nobody really wants to be doing a show on New Year's Eve. Last year, we did a Best of 2021 show and also the Best Watched in 2021. We did back-to-back programs on New Year's Eve. It wasn't the most ideal thing in the world. It wasn't too bad, though. And I'm doing a solo program tonight talking about some of the year's best films, but not films that wound up in my top 10 of the year. Full disclosure, I've watched maybe about 400 movies this year, and 111 of them are from 2022. Now, there are some very slight omissions that I feel like probably wouldn't have penetrated the top 10 or 20 anyway. Those include uh, David O. Russell's Amsterdam. I have not seen that. And also All Quiet on the Western Front, which I've heard very good things about. I just haven't made the time to sit down and give that a watch. Maybe because it's a Netflix movie or Netflix is distributing it. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, I watched maybe about 10 minutes of it. Seemed like it was, you know, going to be pretty good. So I'm going to be counting down number 20 to number 11. And then I'm going to record a show with Hans probably tomorrow or the day after where we're both going to give our top 10 films of the year 2022. Now, I, I, I just want to go... Because we're also going to do a worse films that we watched in 2022 list as well at the beginning of 2023. So I'm not going to delve too much into um, what might have been toward the bottom of the, of the entire list. But here are some films you will not hear in my top 20 that I think maybe are worth just talking about to eat up a little bit of time. Uh, some of them we've talked about on this show before. Some of them we have not. Uh, one of them for example, is Jackass Forever. Jackass Forever, we did a show on this ages ago. We actually did a warm-up show the year before because it was originally supposed to drop in 2021 when Bam was still part of the cast. And we had Kenny on for that episode, and we were just talking about what to expect. And I think what we wound up getting with Jackass Forever was this faux sentimental, oh, hey, we were part of your childhood, overly saccharine kind of feeling to that movie with the introduction of a lot of new players in the cast who they weren't finessed in. So it kind of felt like they were these, these unearned members of the Jackass crew that were supposed to like and be fond of and accept. They did a poor job of nudging them into the, the fold, which I think Jackass 4.5 did a much better job of. Jackass 4.5, I believe, was a Netflix exclusive. And that was actually very funny and enjoyable. There were some good stunts and uh, great comedy in that film. I would recommend you check out Jackass 4.5 instead of Jackass Forever. If they were smart, they would go back and just edit them both into one movie. Babylon was a movie that we talked about briefly on the last show with Dakota Proctor that I found very disappointing, even though it happens to have Eric Roberts in it. It brought Eric Roberts back into theaters for the first time in years. I think his last movie was Inherent Vice with Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, it also had Shane Powers in it. 
and it just didn't wet my whistle at all. Uh, we will be doing a full show on that soon with Nick Oldershaw of Coward Hour. So look forward to that whenever we get around to it. Uh, Scream, we also talked about a little bit. We we're going to do a Scream retrospective, assuming that this new Scream movie was going to be as good as people were saying it was going to be. And it wasn't. It was unbelievably terrible, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I have no intention of ever watching a Scream movie, new or old, as a result again. Uh, we had The Gray Man. That was a very stupid Netflix film with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Billy Bob Thornton. Warhunt. There is an episode of Civic TV we recorded on the Mickey Rourke World War II uh, Witches in the Forest film Warhunt, which will come out at some point. This was a surprise because we were expecting... War had to be a really atrocious film, very poorly made film, and it wasn't. It, it was not that bad. It was just kind of a generic action film that actually starred a guy who who looks like Skeet Ulrich, who always had this rip-off Johnny Depp vibe about him. It was a guy like that. Um, Windfall. This was another Netflix movie with Jason Segel, Jesse Plemons, and some girl, some woman, uh, that I found uh, pretty enjoyable up until... The very uh, over-the-top conclusion. Nope. We did a show on Nope with Detective Wolfman. Uh, that was more fun than I was expecting. Not not bad for Jordan Peele. Um, Robert Downey Sr. had a documentary on him on Netflix. A lot of Netflix movies here. On, on Netflix that uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of oversaw that I thought was okay. You know, it, it, it was fine as far as documentaries go. Uh, or modern documentaries go. Rifkin's Festival, that was the Woody Allen film that was held over from 2022 and released this year. I thought that was pretty decent. And that had Wallace Shaw playing the Woody Allen surrogate in that movie where his wife is just uh, in love with a much younger man and he's kind of falling in love with his doctor and she's not that interested because it's Wallace Shaw. So anyway, let's let's get to the top 20 films of the year, 2022. What an exciting time. What an interesting year 2022 has been. I do think it was a major rebound for movies. If you look at the past two years, it's grim. It's very bleak. Nobody needs to tell you that. Uh, we've gone on and on in the past just how horrible 2020 was because either you know, very dull movies, very message-driven movies were dropped direct to streaming or... The theaters were holding on to, um, you know, what was essentially going to save them in the 11th hour that they put out this year. Movies like Top Gun Maverick. Um, so you wound up getting very bottom of the barrel stuff. And you could make the argument that the best movie of 2022 was something like Mel Gibson's Fat Man, the, the Christmas comedy where he plays... Santa Claus. You know, you could make that argument and it would be perfectly legitimate. I do think that the best movie in retrospect of 2020 was probably something like uh, TFW No GF because that's the only movie that has any sort of sticking power from that year that has uh, really at least made itself uh, relevant in the years since. Abel Ferrara's two movies that came out that year were great. Um, I don't know if I'm rushing back to them anytime soon when I'm thinking about watching an Abel Ferrara movie. Family Romance, LLC, same deal. Um, that was a Warner Herzog pseudo-documentary, scripted, fictionalized. That was about a very interesting subject. 
but I, I don't know if I would uh, go back to that in a rush. So here, here are, uh, you know what, I'm just going to uh, run through 25 to 21 as well, and I'm not really going to talk about these films, but I'm going to let you know what came so, so narrowly close here. Uh, Catherine called Birdie. This was Lena Dunham's, Dunham's second film that had come out this year. She put out a movie called Sharp Stick, which I think had Taylor Page in it from Zola and John Bernthal, and she starred in it as well. And that movie, I, I think, was funnier than what I was anticipating of it, but it, it didn't really know where to go after about 40 minutes, after that relationship between the protagonist of the film and John Bernthal falls apart. Lena Dunham just kind of like runs out of gas and it's kind of a messy film. Catherine called Birdie is a, you know, just like a cute little kids film that runs way too long. It's about two and a half hours. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, Tiny cinema. Tiny cinema was put out by the, the group tiny cinema, the sketch comedy group. Uh, and was directed by Tyler Kornack, who I believe directed and starred in this movie called butt boy a couple of years ago. And I didn't really watch that, but I watched some of the trailers, and I thought, oh, well, that's well shot. That's, that's got an interesting look to it for a comedy, you know? So that was that. And Tiny Cinema, I laughed quite a few times. I actually found that a pretty funny movie, and I enjoyed that. Uh, RRR is number 23. Now, I do think that if the Academy wants to make any sort of cultural comeback, this would be the year to shine a light on all of the big blockbuster films, all of the big epics. You, you, know, you know, you haven't seen too many of these diversity-oriented direct-to-streaming films that they've been nominating the past couple of years. Like last year, we had Coda win. Coda just feels like a made-for-TV NBC film that got the budget of an Apple TV program. Haven't seen it. We'll probably never see it. The year before that, what was it? Year, it was Year of the Dog or something? I don't know. I can't even remember. Couldn't tell you what won in 2021, 2022. It, it, it's all rough stuff. But they're in, they have a real opportunity here to gain back some goodwill by nominating things like Top Gun, Maverick, Elvis, RRR, all these massive maximalist films that have won over um, the average filmgoer's heart. So RRR... Uh, very entertaining film, number 23. Number 22 is Father's Stew, which as much as I ragged on that movie, it's still a pretty decent movie, and that's number 22. Go watch our Father's Stew episode we did on Easter. Number 21, I hate having to put any Disney movie on the list, let alone like a real Disney movie, not an acquired Disney movie. This isn't a Fox movie that was converted. And it could go the way of like the Lego movie, you know, when the Lego movie came out in 2014 or 2013, whenever it was, everybody was saying, wow, that was really good. That was shockingly good, even though we all knew it was a commercial, right? But the fact that they made fun of it because it was so overtly a commercial, people fell into this like false sense of security and were able to accept the movie for the image that it was trying to propagate as opposed to waking up and just realizing, no, you're, you're watching a, you, you paid $21 to go watch a commercial at the theater. And this might be the case with this movie. I, it, it has yet to be seen, but it reminded me a lot of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I watched that again recently. It's just a, a, a masterpiece, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Also, I'm, I'm pretty sure, and maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't think I am. 
you know how the animators at Disney, especially, seem to get up to naughty tricks in the background, like you're seeing hard erect cocks in the Little Mermaid on the poster of the hard erect cocks on the poster of the Little Mermaid, or sex in dust in The Lion King. I'm pretty sure Donald Duck drops an N bomb in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Maybe I'll insert a clip so you guys can hear what I'm talking about, where he calls Daffy Duck the N word. And I looked this up and people were like, no, no, no. He's saying a dimwit. No, no, no. I think the voiceover artists and everybody who was involved knew exactly what they were doing. I think they, they, that's a good fallback. Yeah, that might say that on Disney Plus because they sure as hell aren't putting uh, N-words in the captions. Uh, I think they, they knew what they were doing. They were calling Daffy Duck the N-word through, through Donald Duck there. Very funny movie. Bob Hoskins is okay in it. Bob Hoskins is so much better in a hundred other movies. He's one of the great all-time actors. But Chippendale Rescue Rangers, that's number 21 for the year for me. So now we're getting into the real deal, okay? Top 20 here. I hate this director. I'm always disappointed by this director. I can't stand Guillermo del Toro. I think he's, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't call him a hack, but he's just never done it for me. Aside from his one movie where he disowned it, Mimic. I liked Mimic. Everything else. Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Devil's Back. I don't care about it. I genuinely have no taste for it. Pacific Rim. I went to the theater to go see Pacific Rim, hoping it was going to be like, it was going to quench my Godzilla thirst. But this was before, I, I, what was it, Legacy or whatever, whatever the Nolan company acquired the Godzilla films for the U.S. and remade them and turned them into very dull, boring movies. Uh, I went to go see Pacific Rim, and I almost walked out of that piece of shit. Uh, Pinocchio, the animated Pinocchio movie that Guillermo del Toro did. I thought this was surprisingly good, surprisingly dark. All of Pinocchio's friends die at the end, and then he's just forced to live forever. They really hammer that point home. It's just, it sucks to not be a human and not die. It's like Jiminy Cricket, they don't even call him Jiminy Cricket, dies in the movie. It's, a, it's good. And it takes place during Nazi fascist Italy, which is an interesting choice and could have, you know, tipped the scales into being, okay, we get it. They don't do that. It's just the setting. It worked out. Number 19 is Bones and All, Luca Guadagnino. Kind of uh, disappointing. Kind of disappointing. I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed the movie. It's a good movie. Disappointed me a little bit because it didn't hold a candle to uh, Call Me By Your Name or Suspiria. I thought those were far better movies. And when I heard that he was doing a cannibal film and had Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet is a very good actor in this movie, in most movies. He, he's not really rich with personality. But the main girl in this film... Uh, doesn't really carry her weight, in my opinion. Uh, her name is Taylor Russell. She kind of just gets a pass. She she doesn't. Her acting abilities don't seem up to snuff with the likes of Mark Rylance and and Timothy Chalamet. She's more on David Gordon Green's level, who appears in this movie for some reason or another. I don't know. He just kind of looks backwards. He looks a little funny. You know, he's a good choice to include as a cannibal. Speaking of which, that gets into the next film on the list, which is number 18. That's Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends. Uh, that was real, uh, you know, <sighs> Halloween, David Gordon Green's Halloween movies, aside from the first one, I watched the first one in the theater. And 
I was like, oh, wow, they actually did a good job with that. Cool. Great. Uh, what are they, what are they going to do next? And then I watched Halloween Kills and I was ha like half paying attention to Halloween Kills when it dropped on Peacock in 2021. And I was partially absorbing bits of it. And then after the movie ended, I was like, hmm, what, what, what hold on a second. I have to go back to that. Cause did I, did, was I paying attention? Is that something that happened in that movie? And then I played it back and it was as ridiculous as my suspicions that had crept into me uh, peripherally told me it was. And I loved it. I think that movie is fantastic. It, it's like a Brian De Palma film shot today. And then Halloween ends, I had read spoilers about over on the TV board of 4chan where people were leaking early test screenings that said, actually, Michael's hardly in the movie. It's going to be this guy named Corey. He's a teenager. He's a bit of a whiner. And he's going to take up Michael's throne as a killer. And you're going to get a Corey movie, essentially. And I read that. And I was like, that, that's so fucking dumb. That is so stupid. They've done that a hundred times. In the Friday the 13th series, they did that like two or three times. And it never, ever whets anyone's appetite when they decide to swap out the, the killer, the person you're showing up to see. And especially after how Halloween Kills ended. I thought it was such a, a, a big swing to go in that kind of direction. But then you watch Halloween Ends. And this movie's just a lot of fun. And it's better as a Corey movie than it is as a Halloween. I kind of wish Michael Myers just never showed up. We don't need the ending where he's fed through a meat grinder. You just need Corey and his girlfriend being cool on a motorcycle while music's playing. And then he does bad stuff, you know? It's a better remake of Christine than anything to do with Halloween. I kind of wish they just made that movie and called it Halloween as a fuck you to the fans because horror fans are the worst people on the planet. Horror fans always have the worst taste. And now that horror fans are making horror, in the past, it wasn't really horror fans making horror films. And that's why they were all good. Uh, William Friedkin, all these guys, George Romero, thought they were above the genre until it became their bread and butter. And they were embarrassed to be dabbling in that genre. Not Romero, but many of those types of filmmakers of the late 20th century, mid and late 20th century. Horror was frowned upon. It was not a high art like it's considered now with elevated horror. So when you have that kind of person helming a horror movie, they're going to bring different sensibilities to the table. But now you compare something like, uh, oh, I don't know, The Exorcist with Christmas, Bloody Christmas, which we'll be talking about on a future show with Spencer Desmond of Death Curse Comics. They lean into different aspects that they think horror audiences want and usually aren't as, um, they're not as uh, psychological as what the average uh, uh, just auteur might, um, might seek to implement into a, 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 a horror film, if that is not their genre of choosing. Uh, so number 17 is The Banshees of Inishirin. I said this before, this is just kind of like a standard good, dark English comedy, or I guess Irish comedy, excuse me. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. The performances are good, made me laugh a couple of times. I probably will be forgetting about it very soon. 
Number 16 is the Daily Wire produced movie Shut In starring Vincent Gallo, who he carries this movie on his back. Okay, uh, the lead actress whose name is uh, uh, Rainy Qualley, I believe she is Andy McDowell's daughter, is good. She's good in this movie. I don't know if I really buy her as like a junkie teen mom. You know, they, they should have gotten Amber from Teen Mom. I think she got arrested a couple of times, beating up Gary, her her fat ex-boyfriend, baby daddy. Uh, Jake Horowitz, who plays a junkie boyfriend in this movie, not a good choice at all. Really shitty choice. And I've seen him in other movies since, and he was good in that. He was good in those movies. I, I'm, was he? Maybe he was in Bones and All. I think he played the gay carnival barker in Bones and All. He's good in that movie, if that's him. In Shut In, he's horrible. And he does feel like, you know, there was like like somebody like a Jeremy Boring or, or Ben Shapiro, Michael, one of those guys were like, hmm, you know, he's got junky, someone who's never been around a drug addict before, never hung out in the hood, you know, that that's the kind of guy they would pick. So Shut In, I actually thought it was like a cute, smooth, little 80, 90 minute movie. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Nice and compact. Type of movie that's not often made anymore because everything is a big two and a half hour epic. And that's not always a bad thing, but it can definitely become exhausting. So you appreciate those 70, 80, 90 minute movies because those are legitimate movies. I don't like the argument of, well, you know, uh, feature length is actually 90 plus. No, 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 you can be 70. Technically, I think the Academy says anything over 48 minutes is a feature. So I'm going with that. Uh, shut in. I was kind of critical of it when it came out. In retrospect, I think it was better than I gave it credit for. Number 15 is Deep Water, the Ben Affleck, Anna de Armas, Adrian Lyne return film that went direct to Hulu. This is a Disney movie. It's for the whole family. Uh, it's just Anna de Armas uh, sexually torturing Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck making breakfast for her. He, he, she plays his wife. Uh, ben Affleck makes breakfast for her and her boyfriend, her several boyfriends who are like 15 years younger than her and 20 years younger than him. It's a, it's a, it's a weird movie. It's kind of ridiculous too. Tracy Letts has a small role in it as like a, a guy who's investigating whether or not Ben Affleck's murdering people. They have like a, it, it kind of wants to be Gone Girl esque, but it's too trashy. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was a good, good enjoyable film. Number fourteen is Lucy and Desi, which is a, a, a documentary directed by Amy Poehler. And I thought it was a, a great doc on uh, Lucy, was it, what was her name? Lucy Arnez at the end of her, did she keep that? Did she, did she hold on to that? Um, and uh, Desi Arnez. And I grew up with I Love Lucy. I watched I Love Lucy plenty. So I, I enjoyed this. And I was not gonna watch the Aaron Sorkin uh, Meet the Ricardos film with plastic face Nicole Kidman that just looked like a spooky movie I wasn't gonna watch that uh, number 13 decision to leave now I have a lot to say about decision to leave and I recommend you guys go watch my show with J David Osborne and Kelly Losack excuse me guys uh, and I was on their show agitator I think we might have talked about it briefly but decision to leave kind of seems like it's being artificially inflated as this big, great movie of the year. It could be nominated for Best Picture. Movie acquired it, which is kind of cool. I like what movie's been doing lately with that and the kingdom. 
And it feels like an overcompensation for all the white film critics who held up Parasite and were like, Parasite's one of the best movies of all time. Korean cinema is great right now. And may, look, maybe Parasite is one of the best movies of all time. I don't know. We're, we're kind of, we got to let that sit for a bit and find out. But it feels like, hey, I wasn't just doing, you know, we weren't running through the diversity roll call here. You know, this, that wasn't the token Asian film. That wasn't the token Korean film. Here's another good one. This is the best. This is another best movie of the year. Decision to leave. But Park Chan-wook has done this exact movie three or four times now. And it's been a hundred times better every single time. Decision to leave is a big budget iPhone commercial. I hate to say that. The fucking iPhone is all over the place in that movie. It's sickening. I, I, I you know, I, I love Park Chan-wook. He's my favorite director. This was not it for me. The aesthetics were toned down compared to normal. It, it was maybe a bit more Hitchcockian than his other films, but he retreaded all of the same beats that we find in movies like um, Lady Vengeance and and uh, Thirst and, you know, far superior films. Decision to Leave, I think, is one of the better films of this year, but it's not one of the best films in his filmography. As a matter of fact, it's probably in the C or D tier. There's so many other great films he's done that I highly recommend you guys check out. That's not it. And that's not to say that the lead actress doesn't give a very good performance either she's great the lead guy isn't the best he's not a bad actor but he's just not very charismatic and i think they could have cast that role better he would have been better suited for some other kind of character um, number 12 is going to be one um, that jeopardizes my integrity as a film critic and um, certainly people trusting my word but the way that i look at things is you know, movies are so, movie, the way that movies are today are they're so inoffensive, right? And they don't really want to make you feel anything at all. That's the ideal. They don't want you to leave the theater feeling anything that may be uncomfortable, anything that might make you think about the movie for a period of time, which was always the opposite purpose of what a film or any piece of art is supposed to do right um so on that note my number 12 of the year is clerks 3 by kevin smith which i think is a big return for kevin smith it's not great it's not shot particularly well it's kind of flat as a matter of fact where you just have it's not even over the shoulders on on characters where it's like shot reverse shot it's literally just these flat if you guys are watching this video right now on patreon.com slash low res in the $5 tier, I decided not to use my, my regular camera today. I'm using my webcam because I have other things I got to do immediately following this. So I'm just kind of rushing through this episode. Forgive me. And uh, it's just a very flat shot of me. I'm right at the center. I'm kind of looking forward. There's nothing really to my left or right, certainly as in terms of people. Um, there's no shoulder over here obscuring the frame. It's just, I'm looking this way. You're looking that way cutting back and forth, that's Clerks 3. Someone over the counter, someone behind the counter, customer, whatever. Um, but I laughed a few times during this movie, and I did not expect to laugh. I, I gave a heads up going into the theater. I was like, listen, 
this movie's probably gonna be really cringe. I think it's getting bad reviews. It's gonna be it's gonna be rough going. So just prepare yourself. And I laughed in the movie. I laughed at times I didn't expect to laugh. I laughed at uh, Jason Mewes, who I never laugh at. I hardly find that man amusing, but I laughed. And uh, the ending, the ending also got me. I thought the ending was sad. I thought it was a sad ending. But here's what I came away learning. And I listened to a podcast called Midnight Movie Cowboys Podcast where they talked about Clerks 3 and they hated Clerks 3. They railed into Clerks 3. And I listened to the thoughts of the Red Cow Arcade YouTube channel who kind of had middling feelings on Clerks 3 but had the exact opposite to say about it, which was that the comedy works, the drama does not work. I feel the opposite. I think Kevin Smith is too old to know... To, to be daring in a young man's way comedically and having grown up with, or rather um, having lived with a very feminist wife, I'm just assuming based off of what I've seen in interviews, what I've heard in California, and then a daughter who's like a vegan feminist, whatever, uh, his sensibilities comedically have been neutered and he's not quite there anymore like he was in the late 90s and early aughts. And his strengths now are entirely on his tears, his sentimentality, uh, his ability to bring out emotional moments in a film. I think that is where his strength lies now. I would like to see him do a movie like Jersey Girl next. A lot of people don't like Jersey Girl. I think Jersey Girl is a very good movie. Uh, Clerks 3 kind of touches upon that. Some of the dialogue's a bit eh. The performances are... Here's the thing. Brian O'Halloran, who plays Dante, um, he's maybe uh, his 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 accuracy, his you know hit rate is about forty five percent. You know when he's getting real choked up and emotional, it's not great. But he's got some good moments toward the end of the film. Uh, Jeff Anderson, I think, is excellent in this movie. Jeff, I mean, this is easily first of all even though I'm kind of negging Brian Halloran here, uh, his best performance by far to date. No question about it. Jeff Anderson, same deal. Jeff Anderson's excellent in this movie, uh, especially in the the big tense moment that leads to the climax of the film. It's not the the Clerks 3 uh, that I think people were, were signing up for. I think they probably... I think people who were intrigued to check out Clerks 3. We're expecting something probably sillier and goofier than what it wound up being. And it didn't wind up being as dark as what it could have wound up as if anyone is familiar with the original Kevin Smith script for Clerks 3 where it was a movie theater shooting. I think the Dark Knight Aurora shooting had just occurred right around the time that he was doing um, a first draft of the movie. But Clerks 3 was a surprise for me. I really enjoyed it. And I do think it is one of the better films to have come out in the year 2022. I know that'll be controversial, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to stake my good word on that. Number 11. This is the final movie before we get into the top 10, which I will be saving for when I'm sitting down with Hans. Number 11 is Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise and Miles Teller. Top Gun Maverick. Everybody loves that movie. It's a good movie. It's not 
an intelligent film. It's not, uh, you know, a very thoughtful film. It's just like, hey, this, this is what America could be like right now. You know, and it's that doesn't mean it's void of, uh, you know, things that people pick apart nowadays. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes, you go on any of these websites, people will be up in arms if there's like a black girl in a movie. You know, if there's a Taxi Driver remake starring Oprah Winfrey, people are going to be upset about that. No, you get some diversity in the movie. You get age diversity, you get race diversity, you get a female pilot who fucks everything up for a scene. It's fun. It's just a fun, good movie. Uh, great to see in the theater. Does it hold up on home video? I haven't really, I mean, maybe, maybe I had it on my TV. I didn't really fully pay attention to it. It looked great. Made me excited about the movie again. You know, I think Top Gun was maybe originally number 13 on this list before I revised it. I, I hope it has a good chance at being nominated for best picture. I do think that's probably the most likely candidate to be nominated and win if the Academy has any sense at all uh, of the big blockbuster films to have come out this year. And, um, you know, it's just one of those movies where I think what Tom Cruise shows in the essence of himself as an actor, as a performer, as an entertainer, is that things are only lower quality now because the interest in trying has diminished greatly. Tom Cruise will push himself past comfort and push everyone around him past comfort to deliver a superior product. And I respect and appreciate that greatly. And you see that with Top Gun Maverick. And that is why the movie is as enjoyable as it is and why it's won over so many people is because they're trying. They're up in those planes delivering the dialogue by themselves, okay? They don't have a scene partner. They don't have anyone in the headset. I watch the special features. Flying a plane, reciting dialogue and acting and trying to be believable and also having to be mindful of, all right, the camera's here, the camera's there, there's six cameras in this cockpit. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's technically impressive. So Top Gun Maverick is my number 11 of the year, and I'm going to pause right there before getting into my top 10 films of the year 2022. And I'm very curious to see what Hans has on his list. He'll probably have, like, the Batman the Batman's number seven, Fantastic Four, number three, Scarlet Witch, two, Doctor Strange, number one, because Sam Raimi, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to have. I'm, I'm curious to say the least. So we'll be doing that show, and we'll also be doing a show with Mario Cuomo, uh, my dear friend Mario Cuomo, whose music video I directed for Middle American. He's going to join us for the best films watched in 2022, not from 2022. And I still have to narrow that list down because I've watched almost 300 films. I know he's watched a lot of movies as well. He's constantly posting his, his VHS sets. Uh, he's always going to like flea markets and yard sales and picking up videotapes. And he's responsible for getting me back into picking up VHSs. You know, I've got so many videotapes right over here, just off screen. But I will tell you one thing with a 4K television and a VCR plugged into that, um, it's a, it's a different experience, but in a good way. It's not like too clean, not too polished or anything. I had an older television when I was living in Massachusetts and a, a VCR that was plugged into that. And it was very hit and miss as far as your ability to watch and decipher what was on your screen. So I've been enjoying that. I have Pope of Greenwich Village over here, Blowout. I've got 
the Palma films, plenty of Mickey Rourke movies. I don't know. I got to figure out what's in my top 10 that I watched this year because I don't even know what the best movie I watched. In the past, my past two years, Husbands won 2020 for me. And then it was Breaking Away, which is a um, Dennis Christopher starring bicycle film. Uh, I watched last year. I thought that was fantastic. Looking for Mr. Goodbar was was close second. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what that will include. But for now, uh, I have a New Year's Eve evening to get to, guys. So enjoy your night. I'm just going to throw this up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify this evening. We won't make this a Patreon exclusive. It's only 38 minutes so far. And maybe after I cut out some some dead air moments, if there are any, um, I wouldn't know at the moment. Uh, it could be shorter than that. So, all right. Please join us over on patreon.com slash lowres to get videos of every single episode, access the Mass State Lottery production diary, and also gain episodes that have not been released into the main feeds on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to the show, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because that helps our search engine efficiency when people type in uh, any given movie. If they're looking for Midnight Run, and we've done an episode on Midnight Run, they type in Midnight Run. Well, maybe we'll come up as the number six option for, for, for podcasts as opposed to number 34 you know, and uh, that would be very nice. So please go ahead and do that rate and review. Join me over on Facebook, facebook.com slash lowreswb. They just stopped suppressing my page, which is amazing. I was getting like three likes on posts for the longest time. Now I'm back up to over 200 likes. It was so stupid. I got I got flagged because I posted a picture of Barry Keoghan, the, the actor who's in Banshees of Inishirin. He was in a, a pair of swim trunks. And he had a pee stain on his on his dick outline. There was a pee stain. And I just zoomed in on that and I posted it and they put me in timeout and it killed all my engagement for almost four months. But I'm back. I'm back on Facebook. Oh, go, go to Twitter as well. Twitter.com slash LowResWB. Instagram, LowResWonderBread. Join me there as well. I am frequently posting around the clock. So that has been movies for this year. 2022. Thank you so much for listening throughout the entire year with us. We'll be back in 2023 with the 10 best films of the year. Thank you for listening.